0: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball
1: Beat. Okay, everybody, welcome to this episode of the Fantasy Baseball Beat. I am your host for the evening, for better or for worse, likely for worse, Mike Carter. With me, as always, is my fearless wonderfully bearded co-host Chris Torres Torres how you doing tonight man
0: be honest i'm a little de- my beard is not the way it normally is all right i messed up see the thing when you when you have a as um i guess as well manicured a beard a beard as mine mm-hmm. um you get a little nick and it just throws everything off okay so It's really frustrating when you have to regrow the piece that you, you know, you accidentally got off and it's just, it looks, it's not up to par, man. So I'm really sorry about that. Um, I know, I mean, you always have the nice full beard and uh, you know, I'm just, I'm not with you right now. So
1: mine's because I'm lazy. Okay. Mine, (laughs) mine, Mine is not manicured as yours is. Have you, have you ever thought of shaving the beard?
0: My wife said she would consider leaving me, so... Uh.
1: <laughs> well, so you have that out card, then.
0: Yes, I do. I do. Yeah, things get bad, so... So
1: you so you, so you nicked the beard, but you decided not to shave it off because Ingrid would uh, serve you with the trifold papers, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, think, you, I, I got I think
0: you. she's joking. I think she's joking, but uh, mm, I'm not going to... You don't want to find out. No. I mean,
1: the chances of you landing on your feet with another lady are really slim, man. So, like, yeah, I mean, I th- yeah, honestly, I mean, listen, like... This-
0: there's not a lot of women out there who are interested in, um, let's face it, fantasy baseball nerds, right?
1: <laughs> no, no, this is this is for sure. And I, I will say this: um, uh, Ingrid is a saint. There's a special place in heaven for her for dealing with you on a daily basis. Absolutely. we know, we know yeah. this. We know this to be true. All right, so Torres, what are you doing for Thanksgiving this week?
0: Uh, staying local, going with family. Um, nothing crazy. So please uh, tell
1: me that you. Please tell me that you're not cooking.
0: I am not cooking. No, thank God, that is a good thing for everybody. There is a God. uh, What about you, man?
1: Yeah, we're local too. I, you know, we've had a couple busy weeks here, as you know, my step with my stepdad passing away and everything. So we're just going to be local, just hanging out. Uh, I think sweatpants and you know sweatshirts and uh, going over to my mother-in-laws and just hanging out. So, not that anybody's really interested in what I'm doing for Thanksgiving, but what you are interested in is who we have tonight because we have a fabulous guest tonight uh, on the show. Chris, I'm sure that you agree with me. We have with us Jessica Brand. Uh, Jessica is the bookmaker bookmaker and trader at FanDuel Sportsbook. Also works at MLB Network and NHL Network, which is a really fascinating thing as well because NHL fantasy is awesome and completely switched on. For those of you who are not doing it, I suggest doing it over fantasy football, which will probably make me even more unpopular with the people who listen to our podcast. But with us tonight is, is Jessica, MLB expert. Immaculate Grid Savant created the rarity score that keeps me on my toes on a daily basis as I'm trying to get that score lower and lower. And my 75-year-old dad, retired in Naples, Florida, is kicking my ass on a daily basis with the rarity score. Uh, Jessica, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight?
2: I'm doing fantastic, Mike, because, you know, I get to be with both of you. It's a great opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you for it.
1: Well, I don't know how great of an opportunity it is to be with two goofballs like me and Torres, but we're really thrilled that you're able to join us tonight. So um, we have a, quite a few questions for you and kind of want to navigate through that with you. But first off, what we when we have people on the show for the first time, we really kind of want to know, how did you get your start in baseball and in, and in fantasy baseball? What What drew you to the game initially?
2: So this one's a fun one. So back in 2004, Um, My mother bought my late father a pair, well, three of us tickets to Yankee Stadium for a Boston uh, Yankees game. And I didn't know anything about the game then. Um, But the great thing is when you go to a stadium like that in 2004, everyone's really into it. Everyone's really energetic and they're speaking a language that you don't know. And so I've always wanted to learn about really anything and everything. But when you don't know anything, it drives that curiosity. So I drove myself to learn everything and anything possible. So. That's how I learned baseball. And then from fantasy side, statistics side, uh, projecting side, and really all that kind of thing. So my father did uh, statistics. He was a statistics professor. So he was really into baseball, too. So that kind of really was a nice mix for me in that regard.
1: That's really interesting. So just off of that one game, that it triggered enough of an interest for you to kind of delve deeper into it
2: yeah absolutely i mean the great thing too on top of that really is um all the great people that i got to meet which i'll talk about a little bit more but yeah it's the one game but i think that's really how anything is in my life so if i see something once a lot and i don't know a lot about it i'll find something interesting about it and then that starts to snowball into a lot of different things all at once that i do get interested in so that's kind of why i like trivia too because you can be interested in everything like that so that's
1: really fascinating
0: Yeah, two thousand four Yankees Red Sox. That was like, I mean, if there's a game to go to, like that was the time, right? I'm just curious. (laughs) Was it the game? Um, There's one game from two thousand four that really sticks out for me. Was that the Jeter game, the one where he dives into the stands? July July first, two thousand four. If you remember, no more sing on the bench then Pokey Reese in
2: the top of the fourteenth. And the uh, bottom of that, end, or the one just before that, makes an incredible diving catch into the stands too that people forget about. But Keaters, of course, is remembered because the Yankees won the game.
0: I mean, yeah. history is remembered by the victors. So do you remember who got the game winning hit?
2: Uh, I'm trying to remember. It might it have it been Old Root. I'm not 100% sure on that one.
0: Good guess. John Flaherty. John Flaherty. Other John. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But uh, yeah, that's why Mike, I mean, that's that was like, I miss the intensity of that rivalry. Those, those couple years when the Yankees were playing the Red Sox, not even a couple years. I mean, going back to like 99, when you had the Pedro versus Clemens rivalry, um, you know, all the way up through, obviously, you know, the Aaron Boone home run. And, and like those years were just like the best to be a Yankee fan. Uh, So that was a good time to, to get into it, Jessica. Um, But yeah, really interested in your work and want to learn more about it. But, uh, you know, I, and Mike, I like the way he framed this, uh, he said, take us through a Jessica wormhole. So tell us about your process uh, once you decide on kind of what you're going to look into and 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 what kind of data you're going to put out there.
2: All right. So um, I will say the Twitter stuff is how I got my entry into work because uh, when I worked at MLB Network and Indico Network before I got my job at FanDuel, um, they found me through Twitter and they would find my tweets that way. And they that's how I got the job honestly. I didn't apply for baseball jobs. But so when it comes to baseball work, what I will do is I'll find a storyline that's interesting on the game or something that happened that just feels uncommon. So there's a few factors I can look to. Is it age? Is it number? And then like a number of quantity of something like a runs or hits or strikeouts, or is it like a rate that something been going over a longer period of time? Um, Then I can just look at the micro, which is the game. I can look at a streak. I can look at a season. I can look at even an inning or something like that. I like to look at quantities, but I like to look at rarities of individuals. So a lot of times I'll try to look at what's happened to individuals. And then when an individual does this, what happens the rest of the way? So the best example of that is really recently um, when we had the walk-off home run in the World Series Game 1 this year. The previous three teams said a walk-off home run in Game 1 had all won the Series. So there's an example of that. So I always wonder what happens next. And that's something MOB Network taught me that I've really started to integrate into my research. So it's not just what happened. It's what what happens next because of what happened. You can try to anticipate it like that. So that way, not only are you on top of what's current in the news, but you can apply it for what's
1: going on down the line. That's really fascinating to me because like, in my mind, I think, oh, walk off home run. I started thinking about, oh, yeah, I remember guys who walk off home runs like Scott Potsednik in 2005 World Series. But then I just die with it. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to go to bed. I'm tired. You know, <laughs> like I'm not going to look any more into it. What you do is just completely, it, to me, I'm like, wow, that's mind blowing. You know, like I would never think to correlate it the way that you just did.
2: Well, thanks. I I like to think of baseball and each season itself as a chapter within the book of the game. So, if I started 1871, or technically before, if I want to talk about like Excelsior, Brooklyn, and Asa Brainard, and those type of guys, um, so I can go through the years and give a story for each one. So, each one's its own little chapter. But when we flip through the chapters, we have to know what happened beforehand. So, maybe we can learn from it. And I think that's true in statistical analysis or even just storylines of baseball, like the Besednik home run. Like, uh, you talk about that year. So I hear percent in 2005. He had the most played appearances that season without hitting a home run with None. hitting postseason home runs ever yeah. in MLB history. Right. So that's the kind two, of thing.
1: He had two, he had two in that two. postseason. Yeah,
2: exactly. So that's the thing I try to look for. Because I always view this way in life, in facts that I like. It's why I like yada seconds. Or it's why I like like uh, planet constants for seconds. So if you don't know, a yada second is the biggest uh, time measurement we have. And a planet's constant unit is basically the smallest unit we can have. Um, so to tie that into baseball, I like to look at the most extreme ends of things. What's the most success we've ever seen from something? What's the least success we've ever seen from something? Or the most and the least? So when we get extremes, well, extremes mean by definition it's not average. So that means we're seeing something that we probably haven't seen before. So Mm -hmm. I go by Bill James's old axiom that used to write, um, in the baseball abstract in every game, you can see something that you've never seen before. And he always would start off by saying, you're starting off by seeing two perfect games because no one's reached base when the first pitch is thrown. And then from there, who knows what happens?
1: That's wild. That's wild. Tell us a little bit about your work with the immaculate grid, which has really kind of taken, uh, the world by storm here. Um, Last six months, I mean, I know more people that are doing it now than I did when it first started. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved with that, and also if you would wouldn't mind sharing how you developed the Rarity Score and where you came up with that, because I think that that's fantastic.
2: Yeah, thanks, Mike. I, I'm I'm amazed that it's taken off. How it is? Uh, Sports Illustrated did a feature piece on it a few months ago, <laughs> which was really neat. um So the story behind the Rarity Score is that I noticed that you could fill in the players however you wanted, and what I would realize is that okay, I can do. Just fill in the players' names in probably sixty seconds on a given day, no matter what it is. So I went to give myself. Wait,
1: wait, 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 stop! You can. You're saying that you can do that in sixty seconds, the whole thing? Yeah, sixty to sixty to ninety. You know, pretty realistically. <sighs> yeah. Oh my god! Torres and I are sitting there comparing notes for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's. I, awesome. I mean, you know, you got to wait for your pitch, right? So. Yeah. No. For yeah.
2: sure. No, but so what I realized is that why don't we have something? And I got in contact with Minter, who is the guy who created it. So I got in contact with him over Twitter because Twitter's where a lot of my work is because it works well because it's short form. Why don't we have something that gives people a reason to come back to play the game? And I'm like, okay, so what's the challenge I impose on myself? Well, it's ultimately to make the game a little bit more challenging and to name lesser known players. Well, what's <laughs> the way to implement that, right? So there's this game show in the UK. It's called Pointless. It's kind of like Reverse Family Feud where you get more credit um and fewer points which is good it's called pointless you want to avoid the popular answers you want to give the least common answer so i'm like why don't we make that into something that people can incorporate and the great thing about this is that not only are you making a calendar, for people but people can compare it across each other say hey my friend got this one did you get this oh mine was a little bit lower than yours i mean it's not the only way to play but the way i designed it is
1: for you know retention and communication which is what i think sports is really all about that's really cool because my dad every day will do it and he's retired. So he's got a lot more time on his hands than I do. He'll do it every day and send it to my brother and I, and he's bragging constantly. He sends the, the picture of his rarity score first. And then later on in the day sends his actual grid. And I just keep asking him things like, were you able to use Biff pokerobo Because that's all I really care about is like the obscure, like a, a, how obscure I can make it. So now exactly. that's become the, that's become the challenge for me that you put in. To that, which is man, I gotta, I gotta make this as weird as possible to be <laughs> able to try to get the rarity score as much as as low as I can get it. You know,
2: no, exactly, and that that's a great thing because anyone can tell you like um Altuve and Bichio for general hits for an Astro, but like how many people can tell you like Dickie Thawne did it in nineteen eighty six? Like that's more interesting. Yes. Like yes. that's a narrative that you can share with people. It's individual and it's sharing with others, which is again the greatness of it all.
0: Can I admit something? I, I feel so embarrassed to say this because I know everybody's into it. I've never played Immaculate Grid.
1: Well, it, I'm here's sorry. the thing. Here's the thing. I know I've sent you my scores. I was, I've was I'm been trying to engage you with this for a period of time because what I really feel is like as I get older, I need those, those skills to keep my brain intact so that I don't lose my mind and go down the, the wormhole of dementia. If you start doing it, you will not stop. You will see that.
0: And I was going to say that is the reason I don't (laughs) I haven't started because I know myself and I'm going to get so hooked to it that uh, it's going to become a problem. I mean, it looks awesome, (laughs) but I just I feel like I have to uh, refrain before, you know, it takes over my life. So the problem
1: is, is that you can't use Brett Gardner for every single one you won't See, be able and to use. and that that's the yeah. other reason so. is he, it's, he's pretty limited in grid
2: <laughs> yeah i will say though that that's the nice thing they added a feature a few months ago where you can play unlimited so you can play past days and you can really pay play at your own pace so that way if you're behind like you got to work or something happens you can catch up pretty easily and it doesn't take over too
0: much these
1: days you're in you're doing it this week i know it all right I just, all right i will i will you know what's going to happen though we'll you, try i know it's it
0: this week I know you exactly what I sponsored to keep me yep. in check. Okay.
1: On, th- on Thursday morning, I'm gonna be making a pie or something like that, and you're gonna text me and be like, Why'd you do this to me?
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> my family hates me right now. I'm just sitting here on my phone playing immaculate grid, ignoring <laughs> them. Uh, Chris,
2: you haven't gotten up since the second portion of
0: turkey was served. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm having a good time. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you know, Jessica, I, Another thing I have to admit, I totally skipped over a question that I'm really interested in. So I want to backtrack a little bit and get a, a little bit of a clearer sense of kind of your career path and, and what got you to this point. I know you mentioned that you uh, were at MLB network. Uh, now you're at FanDuel. So just take us a little bit uh, deeper into kind of how you got to where you are today.
2: All right. So I always say that you should have the, you should act like the job that you want to have that you want to have. So act like it. So what I started to realize is that I originally did a different um, Twitter profile, which was just the stats, ma'am. But I realized if I do a professional photo of my face and I do Jessica D brand, it kind of looks like I'm a sports writer. And if I'm doing all these stats, it kind of looks like I'm a sports writer. So um, I started off with some intro, like my really going back I started off with some internships at some town halls back when I lived in Rhode Island, living upstate New Jersey now because I'm near the studios. Um, but I did that. Then I did some stuff for a car auction house, some fast food. I, I graduated with the degrees in finance and French. Um, so good if the Expos ever come back, but also good because <laughs> I deal with numbers a lot. So it's a it's a good mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did fast food for a bit. Then, then COVID hit. Then I did like a bank call center, but I kept working at it. And I started to realize that Um, When people were watching games, I would give them stats in real time. So basically, if they were watching a game with me, they would get stat updates that they couldn't get anywhere else. And so what I realized is that people were watching these games and they already had audiences. And people on Twitter already had these audiences. So if I responded to them, not only would they associate me with the games, they would associate me with these big accounts. Then that way I could get their following and those people would appreciate that I was adding it onto their feed to give additional information. So I keep doing that. And... My MOB network. When I work with MOB network and HR Network, uh, they say, "Hey, hey Jessica, we have a job for um for researcher, which is what it was, stati- statistics, storylines, all that kind of thing." And they asked if I want to interview. So again, I never applied for it. I passed around one of that. Um, they get they say a few inter- a few weeks pass by. Hey, round two, you want to do this? I say yes, do that. And then they say, "Hey, you got the job." I move out to New Jersey in March of 2022, and that's where I. I was until September of this year where I was interviewing for about a year with FanDuel, basically because, again, I work with numbers, finance, all these betting things. I can't be too specific about that because that's what the company says. But -hmm. now I realize I can use my statistical and finance mind basically to figure out probabilities and work with numbers and all these things that go on in the gambling world that are actually really, really complex data, but they're very profitable, too. Um, And I'm very thankful I've gotten where I am. So I try to help people out with that. I'll talk more about that a little bit later. I imagine, but it's something that I figure is important because so many people are trying to get into the world of sports, but I think it's a very attainable path and more than people realize it's not an easy path, but it is attainable.
0: That is such an interesting story. So you started out just on Twitter, putting out stats and how did MLB network find you? Did someone just, did you have a connection there or how did that happen? So they just, um, my old boss, Nate, Nate, Nate is fantastic. So
2: he gets direct messages me on Twitter because I'm doing stats for the NFL playoffs. And I was talking about how often Joe Burrow was sacked. Um, basically, so Joe Burrow had been sacked um, more times in like two games than anybody else had been throughout NFL playoffs in history. It was like Daryl LaMonica who had the previous record for that. But LaMonica had like one more game played or something like that. So I'm like, here's the context. Here's the stat. And I would always know to put in hashtags. So part of my secret is connecting with people. Um, mm-hmm. But also I realized what you can do with that is always put the team's hashtag, like literally the team name. And then each team, no matter what leagues it's in, baseball, football, hockey, basketball, no matter what it is, always use the special hashtag because people are sometimes communicating with that. I didn't have any connection really, but they found me through that way because I knew how to market myself on a bunch of different levels. So that's my business background.
0: That's really, really interesting. So, so the hashtag oh, yeah. does work, huh? It does.
2: And then knowing
0: unique stats. So my big one that mm-hmm. really got
2: me in the notice is uh, remember when Aaron Hicks came back from Tommy John surgery. <laughs>
0: yeah unfortunately yes I do. Oh, <laughs> thank you
1: thank you for throwing me this softball i love it i i love it when chris has to talk about aaron hicks this is great
0: <laughs> God. this is painful okay right. yeah aaron hicks no, so,
1: okay so aaron hicks missed
2: zero games with tommy john surgery and garrett cole makes the comment that oh i bet he's the first person to ever do that i'm like that's a challenge like my light bulb went off and mm. i'm like wait, I know of a site that does that. I know I can commute that and I can code it in Excel because I do a lot of coding for my stats actually that are not just like the usual pages on top of things. So I found out that Tony Womack had actually also another painful Yankee, by the way. Tony yes. Womack had, had not, met, not missed any games with Tommy John. Surgery. You're killing me, Jessica.
0: You're killing me. Okay. <laughs> so I get
2: that out to Lindsay Alder, Brian Hoke, and they get all over it and they retweet me like mm. crazy. And then word starts to spread that I can actually make statement Mike stats and facts off of player statements and then real people start to take take
1: off and recognize me because of that one. Wow
0: that is
1: that is an amazing story. Oh I'm having the time of my life here. I mean we've got a Brett Gardner reference an Aaron Hicks reference a Tony Womack reference Tony it's Womack just, we're it's, really just going to get, it's there. just gonna get better. It's just gonna get better. <laughs> now I now Jessica I don't know if you know this about me but I'm a White Sox fan so if you could spare me any um white sox pain tonight I would appreciate that i'm kidding i'm kidding i can give you some good ones go ahead oh i'm i'm sure i'm sure uh question about do you play in fantasy leagues and if so how many and how did you do this year
2: so i didn't this year because mlb networks policy understandably is a little bit strict about that because you know sometimes things like might leak that aren't public and you don't want that going out Um, but usually usually i will like next year i certainly will be back at it because really i mean I can't do daily fantasy directly with the company because, again, conflict of interest. But internally, I can do like friends and family leagues. I do always really well at those historically. So I have a really good methodology that consistently works with that. So I'm I'm happy to talk about that if you'd like. Sure. Go for it. Okay. So there's a great variety of projection systems. I use some of my own, too, on top of it. But there's a great variety of projection systems that you can use off of fan graphs. And so what I do with that is I have this extension that lets me grab all the data in those tables and depending on the league scoring, and this includes rotisserie too. um, Basically, I will adjust them accordingly with the league and I can make... position rank or i can make an overall rank and what i do is i compare that to a baseline replacement player at that position like you know let's say there's a scarce position because obviously second baseman's not going to be in abundance as much as you know first base for power for instance but then i'll make a cutoff point relative to league and relative to position and that way i can give each player a given perspective uh points over replacement essentially and then i can weight them that way and if they're graded on position, like let's say you have a guy who plays all kinds of positions, like a Jay Cronenworth used to, for instance, then I would just grade them basically based upon what the most scarce position is, because that has the most utilitarian value to you as an individual speaking economically
0: in terms of fantasy baseball.
1: It totally makes sense.
0: Are you sure it does, Mike? Do you know what what was just said?
1: <laughs> yeah, I th- I think I think I'm following. I know I'm old and my brain can be a little bit decrepit as I get as I get there, but I, that makes a lot of sense to me. I like that. Yeah, it idea.
0: sounds kind of like uh, you know, Mike, like uh, Tanner Bell. He puts out the uh, SGP, the Standing uh, Standings Gain Points. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, basically comparing uh, you know what a player will provide relative to the baseline. That's sounds kind of like what you're you're saying, Jessica and I mean, it sounds like you have you're very advanced in your Excel skills so that in fantasy baseball, I mean, that gives you such an advantage to, Mm -hmm. you know, to have that capability. I'm a dinosaur with that, Um, you know, and I I think I I do pretty well without it. I feel like I'd level up so much, though, if I did have the ability to just pull data and just, you know, organize myself uh, the way that Excel allows you to.
2: Yeah, I think Excel is critical, but there's also an annual article on Rortographs. I haven't looked too much if it exists yet. There's always an article that reviews how every projection system did the previous year. Mm -hmm. Um, Consistently, what what they find, I'm not sure if it's the case this year, I haven't looked into that. But the past two years, I believe ATC, Ariel Cohen's projection system, Mm Has performed not well on superstars, but it's done well in mid rounds. So I, I think winning mid rounds is pretty critical to doing well in fantasy. Like, sure. I, I see you can get a superstar, but you know, relatively speaking, within the confines of a first round, bearing injury, bearing vast underperformance, the bands of performance is going to be pretty similar relative to a placement player in your league just what it actually is, not projected to be. But in the middle rounds, there's such wider bands of variance that 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 is what intrigues me ultimately. And I haven't worked on this yet, but I want to work on a system that combines basically what each one does well. Because ATC has historically not done well on Superstars top of the draft. So I need to find a system that does that and incorporate that into that band of group. Like, let's say it's, for instance, I'm not sure if it's actually this, but let's say the top 25 it struggles with. So find the one that does top 25 well, then combine that with one that does like uh, 75 to 150 and so forth like that so that way i can have a super system that basically gets the best of everything all at once i haven't done it yet it really wouldn't take much effort it would t- probably take an hour or two
1: uh i'll buy it yes yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> no doubt no doubt yeah. anything anything that i don't have to do work or think about is probably going to be helpful at my at my age and my level of play so that's fantastic
2: well um, yeah we're good
1: what's your all-time favorite stat if you had to pick if i had to ask you to pick like one thing that you're like okay this is the thing for me like i really love this what would it be
2: okay so i i have two and then the first one has a side story if you want to hear that on top of it of course okay so let's talk about babe ruth Babe Ruth from played in his career from 1914 to 1935, you might know. He had 715 home runs and not 714. Why that's the case is a long story, but but that's the side story. I'm going to mention that last. So the reason that's interesting is not including home runs hit by Babe Ruth. The Red Sox from 1914 to 1935 had 672 home runs. He had more home runs than the Red Sox throughout his entire career. <laughs>
0: That is unbelievable. You so, know, someone actually—I I was talking to my friend about this the other day. There was one of these, uh you know, side-by-side comparisons of Barry Bonds and Babe Ruth, and and Bonds had Ruth in, in a lot of categories. Um, and and Mike, I'm sure you remember Babe Ruth well. Uh, back in 1914, you were how old then? At least in 1914. Right? Uh, in
1: 1914,
0: 1914, yeah, I was 12. You were 12. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, thought, <laughs> I thought it was his
2: graduating college cure okay yeah.
0: <laughs> all right we like you we're gonna have you back jessica anytime anybody who bust on mike's age we we want back on you
1: just but, wait um, just wait you you'll both be it you'll both be 50 at some point i'm just telling <laughs> you that's
0: all never never <laughs> um but uh yeah basically there was a comparison of bonds and ruth and i'm like you can't compare the two eras. I mean, like it, it's just not—it's just not fair. Babe Ruth was out homering entire teams, and, and Bonds was amazing. But I mean, just relative to the rest of the league, not even close. Yeah. Um, in comparison to to Babe Ruth, but that's an aside. And yes, that is a, an unbelievable stat. Yeah, uh, that you just gave us.
2: So let me give you a follow up to this, a couple of them, if you don't mind. Sure. All right, so in one year, Baby Ruth had more home runs than every team but two. His own, obviously, and the Phillies. Out-homered every team but them. So that's that's not even the side fact. That's the second one. So the second one's also Yankee-related to an extent. Um, Lou Gehrig's streak. This is interesting. So on May 6th of 1925, uh, Pee Wee Wanninger holds Everett Scott's consecutive games played streak at 1,307 games. Now on June 1st of 1925 Pee Wee Wanager was pinch hit for by Lou Gehrig. That was the first game of Lou Gehrig's 2130 game streak.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow.
2: So he That's stopped wild. the longest and yeah. then he started the lo- the next longest after that. Same guy.
0: That's wild. I know that. I'm a Yankee. I'm I'm a diehard Yankee fan. One time Mike, I I won a Yankee trivia contest. I called into, you you know, Mike Francesa. So you know how much oh, I, love yeah. him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I called into his show and, um, I, I won a contest against some other random dude and I ended up winning his personal seats. And I sat front row behind home plate. This was about like eight years ago, but, uh, yeah, so I know my Yankee trivia, but I did, I did not know that. That is really interesting.
1: Fascinating. Can't yeah. be looking. So, yeah. uh,
2: so let me follow up on the Yankee, uh, Babe Ruth, 715, if you want to hear that real quick. I don't want yeah, to make this long, sure. but it's fascinating. So Babe Ruth really had 715 home runs ultimately, and really his triple count should be 135. So I want to go back to July 8th of 1918 in Boston, game one. 0-0 score, bottom of the 10th. So basically there's one out and one on. Dave Keen grounds out a most strong singles. So Babe Ruth is facing Stan Kowalewski and Babe Ruth smacks one deep, deep, deep to right. Balls out of the park and it's clearly a home run. Yes. But under the letter of the law in 1918, as soon as strong scores, it's over at one, nothing. And the batter is only credited for, it. it's kind of like the walk-off grand slingle Graham's mm-hmm. grand single. As far as the runner goes, which Ruth only got to third. So that means it's only a triple. So, in 1969, David Neff finishes the first edition of the Baseball Encyclopedia, and, 30, mm-hmm. and Babe Ruth's home run like this was one of 37 that were counted this way, basically to fix errors that were accounted for under then-modern rules of the time, kind of like the modern wind rule was modified in 1950. So, 1969 had 715 home runs for about a week. So, basically, people weren't happy about this. So, there was a committee that voted on it. They voted specifically two nothing or excuse me yeah it's four nothing i believe to say okay yes 715 but here's the thing though joe reichler who was overseas in japan he didn't get to vote it was four nothing they do a revote because they realize okay he's out of the country so the voting comes out that time three two against it and babe ruth loses that home run
0: Hmm. oh wow how do that's you know crazy. this? How do you how, like how long does it take you to f- find all this info? Like maybe 5 minutes? Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean that no that's that's really cool. You you're just like a a wealth of knowledge here. Um I want to ask you about something you tweeted about today actually. The the Hall that's of right. Fame uh ballot came out. And uh I I saw that you put out what your ballot would look like. Mm-hmm. Um so and, and you talked a little bit about what your kind of how you uh your process I guess for for picking who's a hall of famer. So if you could speak to that a little bit and and give us a little bit about why you chose the players that you did.
2: Absolutely, Chris. So, one thing I value is longevity over peak. So, with due respect to someone like a Dale Murphy advocate, unless you have like a Ross Youngs or you have an Addy Joss who gets really sick and they die really early, who I feel sympathetic for where it's not necessarily skill related. It's well human related. I'm going to vote for longevity because I'm of the belief that it's harder to maintain things over time because not only is it harder internally, you get older, you age, uh, but pictures can adjust teams can adjust. People can realize with greater frequencies in between, oh, this person can't hit the curveball low and away, versus where if you're going to see the picture the next day, you might not be able to adjust for that relatively quickly, I think. At least that's personal. I haven't really tested that scientifically yet, but it kind of makes sense to me because we really remember longevity. And I talked about on Twitter what I call uh, the rock star factor, which, again, if you have a one-hit wonder, good for you. If you have a few years in the business, good for you. But people still remember people like Barbra Streisand. People know John Williams as a composer the more you're longer at things, the more I think you're immortalized and the more you're famous. I mean, hall of fame is famous, right? So Mm -hmm. that's where that comes in. So look, so looking at my ballot, I voted for Bobby Abreu, who I think was absolutely incredibly underrated because of his plate discipline. I think he gets underlooked because of the era early on that he played in, which was really, I think they viewed him as tentative. I think he's really comparable by uh, jay jaffe's jaws to someone like vlad senior who definitely was a deserving hall of famer and got in so that's my rationale with him beltray incredible defenseman just don't serve him pickles on his head or rub said head but i i do say whenever he gets in i've always said i'm gonna go into his inauguration and rub the head of his bust immediately just so i can get a funny photo with him. oh yeah there, there'll be a race to do that <laughs> 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 so yeah, that's that. Like I mean, he's he's everything you could want. Like he never really declined too. Like he he's he a an incredible of an player, incredible and third baseman. are underrepresented represented in the Hall to begin with. The fact sure. that as long as it did to get rolling, it isn't. I I think not a shame, but it is surprising. So I think I think it speaks well to Beltre's chances. Beltron again was very good until really his final year with Houston. So, again, consistently excellent dominance. Maybe not the best fielder, but certainly good enough for Kansas City, the Mets, the the Astros in 04, and that magical 04 run. People forget he had nine home runs that year. Oh, like, only one other player, uh, Rainier Rose Arena in 2020, when his four rounds, has had more home runs than that during an entire postseason run. He did that in two rounds. That's incredible. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean Todd Helton I think I think yeah you say Coors effects but you consider even if you kind of neutralize his effects which you can do with Stathead on baseball reference he still comes out above like right around average Hall of Famer I mean I realize he's a first baseman but that's still enough to me I like to get these guys who are in markets that aren't really appreciated a whole lot because you notice there's a lot of not so big market guys that I take on this mm-hmm. Andrew right. Jones I think Yes, he dipped off towards the end, but what he did early on in his mm-hmm. career is outstanding, and he was still above average at the end with the White Sox, with, with the Dodgers, with the Yankees, certainly. So he gets in on defensive merits again. He is the best defensive center fielder I've had the opportunity to see in my life, and I think glove, especially guys. I realize he was a good, he had a good bat, but like guys who have outstanding gloves are, I think, underrepresented in the Hall of Fame in today's process. So that's that. Um, Joe Mauer, a good example of positional scarcity, guys. I realize he moved to first base, but when you have numbers like that at the backstop position for a good eight, nine years and you win a batting title, like you're getting into like crew style numbers for a backstop. Yeah. Like that. To and me he is had incredible. three,
0: I think, right. Three batting titles in his mm-hmm. career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. He belongs. Yep. Yeah.
2: I mean, he's a great guy for old and new, right? So if you're old school, you say, Oh, he won batting titles. If you're new, you say, look at what he played as a defensive position. So mm-hmm. I, I, that's how I always try to say, this goes to a larger narrative that I like to promote: that use stats to promote what you're seeing as a scout, and use your scouting to determine stats. Basically, so if I'm at a game, I'll try to scout guys out. If I'm at home, I'll try to do numbers. So I always say it's a good, healthy blend between the two.
0: Yep.
2: Yep. Um, Manny Ramirez. So this goes into the PED explanation that I gave on Twitter, by bears repeating. If you use PEDs, and it was known, and Manny was definitely known, given how his raise and his career ended in the U.S then you need to be that much better than the rest of the players basically so yeah, Manny was pretty good right so mm-hmm. like i believe he's one of t- i'm not 100% sure about this but i'm like 90% sure about it he and Stan Uto are like the only two like something in like 500 and 500 i believe which is pretty incredible for doubles and home runs it's going to verify the doubles on Manny yeah he had he yeah, had five forty seven, five fifty five. Yeah, that's that's a stand mutual club. Like, and he was consistently excellent too. And he played on winning teams. Now, winning teams doesn't mean you're a better player, but does you give you a chance for more memorable moments? Oh, for Boston MVP. I mean, seriously, of the World Series. I mean, that's pretty yeah, he iconic. Was, he
0: deserves it one hundred percent.
2: I mean, the Manny Wood moment in two thousand nine with the Dodgers, incredible. Yeah. Like, the, I I mean, this guy had. I mean, and he he was quite a character. I always will love characters in baseball. Manny was incredibly one of them that one hit in baltimore in 2008 where he goes back high fives a fan and completes a double play for a 7-3 put out
1: mm-hmm.
0: that to me is incredible Or well, the time he takes a piss in the green monster right yeah, exactly <laughs> during the in between innings i mean <laughs> the guy was just he he was a superstar i i know i mean we could have a PED debate i'm sure there are plenty of people listening who you know or are, are against the idea of anybody who was using PAD, PEDs getting in the hall but um, I think we just have to accept that's what it was that was the era right um, and, yeah, exactly. and he was a superstar so uh, yeah definitely with you on that and
2: same story with A-Rod basically yep. yeah I mean you have iconic moments all the home runs Brian Fuentes Joe Nathan um, mm-hmm. all, like hitting 500 youngest part ever at 500 home runs at the time. Like, he had all these incredible moments, came up as a teenager with with those mid-90s Mariners, like, consistently all all kinds of moments that you remember with him. And
0: And there's also, like, A-Rod was one of those players that, like, everybody knew who A-Rod was. You didn't even have to know anything about baseball. He, like, transcended baseball, even before the whole PED thing. So that, to me, is, like... I know it's totally not analytical, but like, that's something I could like, was this person, was this player a superstar? Like, did people no, know sir. that to me deserves to be in the hall of fame? Um, yeah. so yeah, that's, if that's where we're, we're,
1: that. we're going to judge character for hall oh, of fame, and
0: yeah. I mean, then you really, it's a slippery slope in my opinion, yeah. you know, yeah,
1: there, there's a bunch of people, some that we've already mentioned in the show that wouldn't belong in the hall of fame if we're going to base it on character. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, to me, I you know that's a whole that's a debate for another day probably Chris right mm-hmm. I mean we can <laughs> we can go Mike, into that one quick because I
0: I want to I know we have to get moving but um, who did you did, have you looked at the Hall of Fame ballot I know it came out today
1: yeah I looked at it briefly I mean I you know I'm I'm not a big um, I, I don't really have a problem with PET guys getting into the Hall of Fame it, that doesn't bother me at all uh, I and and looking at it today you know I think. I, being a, a bullpen guy, I think, you know, Billy Wagner is somebody that deserves representation there. I think he was really underrated during his career. Um, the the one that I'm a little bit more intrigued on, and I, I guess I would leave it to people who are better at the analysis of this than I am. Is, uh, Chase Utley, to me, has a semi-compelling argument um, just on the surface. But I agree. Andrew Jones should be in. Bobby Abreu should be in. Adrian Beltre is a no-brainer. Carlos Beltran, I know it's a little sketchy with what happened the last couple years, but, boy, he was a stud for a long time. Helton belongs. Um, I think the one guy, and uh, this is going to sound like a Homer comment, but I wrote an article last year for the 9 a know Know-It-All site about Mark Burley, and I think that as time goes on, he'll have a better chance than he does right now. I don't think he's going to make it in the next few years, but I think when you look at the – the longevity of his career and how many years he was able to pitch as many innings as he did with fairly good success and over 200 wins that he might look better five years down the road than he does right now. But uh, th- that I don't have any disagreement on any of those. I, To me, I think that there's a lot of subjectivity to it. I, I, I'm never really 100% sure what the Hall of Famer uh, voters are actually voting on, like what criteria they're always using to be able to do that. But certainly those guys that we're talking about here, they all pass the eye test. They were fantastic players.
0: Andy Pettit over Mark Burley, and I'll just leave it there. Oh god, anyway. here we go. Here we go.
1: <laughs> well, you know, Andy Pettit was on that team uh that the Sox beat in 05, so on the Astros. Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: It's true. But sorry about uh, yeah. that.
1: Sorry about that.
0: Yeah, you know. Hey.
1: Hey, you Can't know what? We gotta all. win we gotta win one every once in a while. We only got three.
0: That's right. Total. Yep. Total.
1: What do you have? 27?
0: Yeah, I wasn't quite around for all of them, but uh <laughs> yeah, we we we've had quite a bit of success, for sure. But well,
2: 3 cubed is 27,
0: so <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Going back going back to a little bit of a fantasy bent here, Jessica. In in your opinion, you know, and I know, I know that there's only so much you can say about that, but what are the most useful stats in your mind for fantasy baseball players to use as they prepare for drafts?
2: So S- Savon is not data that you should use looking forward, but I think it is useful to talk about ballpark year-over-year changes, right? So we talk about what happened in Baltimore this year with the moving the walls back and what that can mean for things. So if you're looking at something like a three-year rolling average, you probably don't want to do that when you're looking at Baltimore Orioles players. So you have to look at smaller damp- samples of data, which m- makes me think I wouldn't necessarily want to take Baltimore players not to say avoid them entirely, but take what their projections are with a little bit more grain of salt because we don't have the adequate sample size for as much. And from there, mm-hmm. I look at things like I like to look at things like relative hard hit rate, long angle. Again, it's ass Don't use them necessarily to project, but see if guys are hitting home runs at weird long angles. See if there's things that aren't really sustainable. See what the winds were like. What type of conditions led to success? What ones led to failure? Now, is and see if either one isn't necessarily repeatable because a, a guy like Spencer Strider, who would have gotten my NL Cy Young vote this year for first place, got terrible defensive luck by the Braves this year. I, I mean, he would have had the highest ERA to win the Cy Young since 1983 when Lamar Hoyt did it, I believe. So, and they would have been the second highest ever. So, when you look at something like that, when you have defensive bad luck for a team that really wasn't that bad defensively, like Atlanta, then that tells me that's pretty good going forward. Can't give again all the methodologies, but when you see weird quirks like that, especially from a guy like Strider who's easily top five in the league right now, pretty conservatively, then that tells you that's pretty good going forward, in my opinion.
0: Interesting. So. Where do you see, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at Savant now, where, how do you uh surmise that Strider had bad defensive luck? Like where, where do you see that?
2: All right. So I look at something like, again, on Fangraphs. again, there's some internal stuff, but publicly you can look at Fangraphs for skill interactive ERA or SIERA. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You can look at uh, FIP, although I, I have issues with FIP because it's a constant. And let's say everyone got terrible with pitching again, then it really wouldn't be applicable to an outlier case like this. But mm-hmm. I think skill interactive ERA is a good way to go about this. But you could also look to see on certain like long angles of balls, so you would do the stat cast search, you would use the metric range basically, balls hit with like a long angle or exit velocity of X to Y, and then use the team and select that to be Braves, and then you could compare how Strider did on those types of balls compared to I would use other starting pickers because he's a starter, and that's really the best comparison point in fantasy. But see how we did compared to others on similar types of hit balls. And if you realize that they're getting outs when he's giving up hits. It's probably given how consistent the Braves lineup was, that's probably something that's a little
0: bit unlucky going forward. Interesting. I never even thought <laughs> of something like that. But that's uh Mike, <laughs> any any thoughts on on that idea?
1: I've never had that thought. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can honestly yeah, tell you.
0: So it makes perfect sense. It um, does
1: make perfect sense. Yeah.
0: Yep. What about there's been kind of a uh I know the past couple years. People have talked about uh, pitchers' performance in full counts, and like if someone's walk rate goes up, um, you know, people will look at like how many, what was their walk percentage in a three-two count, and if it was, if it was higher, like let's say it was like abnormally high, people will say, well, that was just fluky. Um, you know that that's bound to regress back to kind of whatever the the norm is. What any any thoughts on that, Jessica? Is that something that you've looked at?
2: I haven't looked at it entirely, but it gives me some thoughts about what I would do with it immediately. I'd go back to Savant Search, i check the zones in which the pitches were thrown, and see if there was any kind of cluster data in terms of where those pitches were ending up. And then from there I'd break it down. Is it to a certain type of hitter? Who is the umpire? Did they have a tight zone? Did they have a wide zone? Which means they were missing even wider than really it appeared to the average umpire's eyes that day. So basically, I I like baselines a lot, as I talked about with the power rankings, uh, with all the data and projections. So where is this guy missing compared to others is he just missing so if there's a serious problem or if there's a serious trend like let's say and this is something you can easily search is he throwing like 60 percent fastballs down and away on three two that batters may have picked up on i think it's individual basis now you can maybe draw larger conclusions from that because like i said i haven't looked into it i couldn't tell you if there are or not i imagine there actually are that's my hypothesis mm-hmm. but the thought is that if they're if they're doing something consistent that teams are picking up on, like, well, let's see if it's even a specific team, because, you know, not all teams are created equal in advanced scouting. But let's say there's something specific odd or an outlier about this, then I don't think that's going to regress. If it's a guy who really got unfortunate umpires, yeah, I would actually factor him up to my benefit, right? Because let's say you're dealing with an umpire as a strike, a tight strike zone, and this guy's starting a pitch that's really in the zone or at least pretty on average called a strike, but he missed it a lot. The umpire missed it a lot that game. Well, that's probably to the, ba- to the picture's favor at that point, right? Because you're going to expect them to be able to get that call. So it depends on a lot of different factors. Some of them will regress, but some of them might be a mechanical flaw that even the teams themselves might've not picked up on. So you have to try to think like a team when you hear something like that, in my opinion, what's everything that goes into a three, two pitch being a ball besides a batter, um, besides a batter taking it is it after like five different foul balls? Because if it's 10 pitches, then well, maybe that's more credit to the batter than it is a detriment to the picture. It kind of mm-hmm. goes back to what we used to say about batters like 20 years ago. Oh, he just takes the pitches. He, he doesn't want to swing. He's afraid to swing. Well, maybe it's a credit because the picture is not offering anything good. So you have to think about it like that, but in reverse for a picture. And I don't think we've really touched upon that really just at large yet. I know I haven't, but it gives me a lot of ideas. Like I said, interesting.
1: That's great. So, you know, you're not going to get out of here without doing some trivia with us. <laughs> Best way. Okay. Right. So we, we, you and I have been talking on on the Twitter machine or X, whatever the hell you call it these days, going back and forth with some messaging. And we talked a little bit about doing some trivia questions. So we have a few trivia questions that I'd like to ask you and uh, and give drop some knowledge on us and also the people who are listening. So my first question for you is what team, besides the 1971 Baltimore Orioles, had four 20-game winners in the same season?
2: Okay. I think I know this, so kind of a hometown pick here with this. I believe it's, (laughs) and I I, I believe if I'm right, I can name them. I believe it's the 1920 White Sox. It is the 1920 White Sox. Okay. So you had Red Faber, Eddie Seacott lefty williams dicky kerr hey
1: I mike muted. you're on mute. i, I muted myself go. there for a second i hit the wrong button yes yeah. Yeah, so that was the year after uh, uh well a couple years after the white Sox scandal right so they were uh in a situation where those were the, those were the last time that some of those guys ever played so uh, fit really good that's a really good one and it's it's funny because I think in the modern era any everybody not everybody but a lot of people know that uh, the 1971 Orioles had four 20 game winners but they think that they're the only team but th- there was one more
2: yeah the, the those 1920 White Sox too not including 2023 guys because you figure like Betts and Acuna will play again they had the highest wins above replacement um, wins above replacement for a position player that year in his final season, which was Shoeless Joe Jackson at 7.5.
1: That's interesting. I didn't know that. Wow.
0: All right, Jessica, next question. Who is the only player to have played in a World Series in both Wrigley Field and Comiskey Park?
2: So, okay, so White Sox have played 1917 1919, 1959, uh, 2005, 1906. But then that wouldn't be well. That would be Comiskey at that point. But Wrigley would be 1914, 1915. Oh wait, no, no, White Sox. Uh, and then then 1918. But 1918, if I recall, was played actually at Comiskey instead of Wrigley. So if it's 1918, and then Cubs played also in 45, 32. Eight seven six so 1918 1932. Okay, so 1918 so 1918 to 19, 1917, 1920 is actually pretty funny. So 1917, you have a team that won that got exposed after 1920 the Astros and the White Sox. 1918, you had the Red Sox in and nine 2018, the Red Sox. And then mm-hmm. 2019, the team that won in 17 lost the one that was exposed so Nationals over Astros and uh, Reds over <laughs> Reds over White Sox. So, and then the Dodgers made the year in 2020 and 1920. So that's just a follow, fun follow up. But so 1918 and 1932 would be Cubs and Cubs and White Sox. So that has to be Babe Ruth because of the cold shot and everything.
1: It is. It is Babe Ruth because. You absolutely said it earlier on, which was that the the Cubs, because Comiskey Park was larger and better, I would say, I'm kidding, than Wrigley Field in 1918, the World Series home games were played at Comiskey Park when the Cubs played the Red Sox in 1918. And then, obviously, Babe Ruth had the famous so-called called shot in the 1932 World Series off of Charlie Root, um, which there's a lot of debate about whether that was actually really a called shot or what he actually yeah. really did say um i i was somewhat privy to what people said he allegedly did say and it was not that he was going to hit it out of the park it was he was going to do something else to the person's anatomy who was pitching so uh but yes babe ruth is absolutely the correct answer there well done well done okay here's another one i love this okay. one what four players have hit a home run in their teens and after turning 40
2: Okay, so we mentioned one of them earlier. I believe A-Rod's notable for doing this, of course. Correct. Correct. Mariners did with the Yankees. Um, Ty Cobb did it, and all of his in his 40s came with the Philadelphia Athletics. Correct. Okay. Um Gary Sheffield. Yeah, Gary Sheffield was very young when he came in with like Milwaukee and Florida, and then he did it, I believe, at the end with the Mets in 09. Um,
1: the last one is a tough one. Hmm. I thought it was tough anyway. Yeah. Hmm. I give you a hint. Okay. He was one of the most famous pinch hitters in the history of baseball. And he had a great, great, great nickname, Le Grand Orange.
2: Okay. So it's got to be Rusty Staub.
1: Rusty Staub. Yeah. I didn't, I I never thought about that. I had no idea that that Rusty Staub was uh, such a teen uh he that he was such a star Mm -hmm. in his teens i always knew him as an older guy you know
2: i would say he he came out he came out at birth at 35 in my opinion
1: so (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome that's awesome chris you got the next one
0: yeah uh if my phone pulls okay here we go who is the only player to play for all four original expansion franchises and only those franchises
2: Okay, so the logical way to do this is just to name which ones came first. You got the Angels in 61, the Senators-Rangers in 61, and then you got the Astros and the Mets in 62. The only one to play for all four of those is Nolan Ryan.
1: Bingo. We've, we'll have you at another time to talk about whether or not Nolan Ryan is overrated or not. Uh, that would be... Mm. That would be an interesting conversation. (laughs) Well, That's one for later on in the winter, right? Okay. And here's my last trivia question. And I I really hope you can help me with this one because this one I think really bears uh, uh, an answer. Why does Torres adore Brett Gardner so much? Is there any statistical basis for this one-sided love affair that Torres Torres has with Brett Gardner? What do you think?
2: Yes, and I'll tell you why. So it's kind of a throwback rationale, in my opinion. I, I did a little bit of research into this one because I, I was curious about it. So, yes, his triples count, though. So let's talk about his triples count. 14 seasons, he has 73 triples, which, okay, whatever, right? But let's consider who that's more than, according to baseball reference. Cal Ripken Jr. at 44, played forever Ironman streak. Jackie Robinson had 55. Craig Bicchio had 55. Bobby Bray, mentioned at 59. Lou Whitaker, 65. Derek Jeter, 66. Ricky Henderson, 66. Brooks Robinson, who played forever, 68. Maury Wills, remember, 100 stolen bases in 62 at 71. Mickey Rivers, you want to throw it back to the Bronx and Yankees at 71. Mickey Rivers. <laughs> yeah. And then the final one, and this is the real one that really caught my attention here. 21 years, 72 triples. Cool Papa Bell. Now, if you remember Cool Papa Bell, the story with him is that he could get into bed before the lights switched off. But Brett Gardner <laughs> has one more career triple than he does, so it's That's all in right, the purpose.
0: All right. See. All right. Do you understand now? Has the question been answered?
1: Yeah. I mean, he's he played sixty nine years. I mean, so <laughs> of course he's he's going to get a triple every once in a while. My question: <laughs> If he ever had hair? I mean, he was bald when he played for the Yankees. He was bald. That's ever. True. There was no hair
2: in between then as a team. I'm he not, did not have hair.
1: I'm not going to make fun of anyone in here because in the last year I've lost more hair. I have, I thought I was going to be able to keep my hair forever. It's doesn't look like it's happening. Okay. So I'm not going to make fun of anyone who's bald. Never. Right. Well, I, I, I
0: respect. Guess. I think part of it too, I, I respect guys who can pull it off. Right. Like I'm worried. Like I like you am, am thinning up there. Um, and you know, I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, like if I have to go full bald, I don't think I have the head for that. You know? So I respect guys that, you know, and maybe I'm a little jealous of these guys that can just go bald and it's mm-hmm. like they look they look good and and it makes you look younger when you can pull it off the right way, you know? So,
1: yeah, I'm yeah. I'm not, not going to look good. I I think if I go bald I'm going to look like Darth Vader without the helmet at the end, you know? Like Well, that's the when, that's when and you've then... got to
0: just like go fully commit to the beard like really <laughs> you know because then people do the wall do the with women and just pop. do
1: the huge yeah just do the huge beard with no hair on my head right yeah, look, i
0: mean that's kind of the look now anyway but i'll tell you I'm a quick Gardner story on. why oh uh, have i ever told you a story about brett Gardner, my dad and uh telling my my dad about my daughter no no okay no
1: tell, say it
0: all right so um So this is going back about eight, nine years. Well, how old is my daughter? She's seven. She's going to be eight. So uh, my wife and I had been trying. She was our first child. We had been trying to have a a child for a little while. And, uh, you know, so we we found out. And I mean, we are just I remember that day so vividly. We were so excited, Um, you know, just uh, we were telling everybody. Um, but my dad, I'll give you a little background of my dad. My dad is a very uh he's from the Bronx, very like tough dude, like he he's really like a big mush, but he's got a very tough exterior. Like he grew up, you know, like in the streets of the Bronx, like you know, he's been through a lot in his life, so he just kind of has that persona about him. Uh and I love him, you know, he's a wonderful guy. Um but he doesn't take surprises well. Like even if it's good news, he doesn't like surprises. But anyway, obviously, I've got to call my dad and tell him, like, he's going to have his first grandchild. So I call him and, uh, you know, I'm like, Dad, we, we just found out Ingrid's pregnant. And silence. He doesn't say anything. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> like you're going to be a grandfather. And like I told you, like, it's like he needs time to, like, process things. You can't surprise him. So I hear the Yankees on in the background, and I just hear Michael Kay and I think Brett Gardner like maybe hit a triple or he, he had like a big hit. So I hear the crowd in the background. My dad goes, "Man, that Brett Gardner, he's a hell of a baseball player." And I'm like, "Are you fucking serious? Like I just told you, I'm having a kid. Like, what are you telling me about Brett Gardner?" And you know, and of course, like he was happy, and eventually he's like Oh, well, But that was the first thing he said after I told him we were having a kid. Brett Gardner, hell of a baseball player. So now me and my butt, that's like an inside joke with me and my friend. Like, you know, if there's something like, you know, like semi-serious, we'll just like respond with Brett Gardner, hell of a baseball player. (laughs) So that is part of why I love Brett Gardner. I guess I just associate him with that moment.
1: I got to find somebody to make me that T-shirt that I want for you of him hitting the dugout with the bat. And then underneath it, I'm just going to put in, hell of a baseball player and you know what
0: i have so that was on my 10th wedding anniversary and i was at that game the one where he's hitting the bat with the dugout and the animals in the box with aaron boone yeah i was there so again another reason that i love brett
1: gardner okay see it all makes sense to me now thank you for clarifying i really appreciate that that's great when i when i when i know more i do better that's just kind of my (laughs) motto okay so For those of you that are still listening and hanging in with us, we're here with Jessica Brand. Jessica writes uh, and and does a whole bunch of stuff on Twitter, but is also a bookmaker and trader at FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, MLB Network, NHL Network, uh, MLB expert, Immaculate Grid, Savant, as we talked about it. But, Jessica, one of the things that Chris and I like to do at the end of every show that we do with our guests is we focus on what we call our mental health minute. And – we really feel – Chris works as a therapist, and I work in, in special education. And at the end of every podcast, we ask our guest, what, what's something that you're doing to help with your either your your mental wellness or your physical wellness during these days? We know that during wintertime, sometimes people can run across hard times. Holiday times can be tough for people. What's something that you're doing for yourself to kind of keep yourself you know, moving forward in the game?
2: Yeah, so I, I think a real difference, it's basically – Helping myself, helping myself by helping others, really. Especially, you know, we talk about baseball. It really is a roundabout way of things. Because baseball and sports are really an escape from the world that we deal with. So I, I realize that I've been really fortunate to have the opportunities, the experiences, and jobs that I've had. So I figure I can pay it forward to others. So Charles Dickens once said, though, that no one's useless in this world that lightens the burdens of another. And I, I'd like to add to that, though. The, pers- the purpose in life is not necessarily to be happy, but it's to be useful but to be honorable, to be compassionate and have it make some difference that you've lived and lived well. And what I do from there is I ideally, sometimes it's hard because days get busy, but ideally there are three people I want to help every day in a way they don't expect they can't do themselves. And I tell them pay it forward to do the same to someone else. Now, not everyone's going to do it, but just try to find something good. Try to compliment someone up and motivate my team that I work with at work. Tell them something encouraging about what we are as a team no matter what that team is, be it the three of us as individuals recording this or, you know, part of like an international corporation like I work with um, in my, in my work. So it, it really is about the value of teamwork because I feel my power and I feel better when I do something at large to help someone, you know, who was on the path I was like five years ago. Or it's just, you know, sharing facts because seeing other people at this point keeps me happy. Because I like to do motivational talks to really try to help people because I realized, again, my life um, wasn't always the easiest, but I did wind up making it through a lot of hard work and determination. So I figure if I can help people that way by giving them advice, happy to talk with them or just sharing a stat or something that can make them laugh, who knows where that might help them.
1: I love that. That's I mean that's that's beautifully said, right? I mean it's just it, doing something for other people gets you out of your own mindset, right? Get you out of your own being stuck in your own zone and 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 doing that. And I, I can tell you certainly just from following your on Twitter and seeing things, that all, sometimes what you do with on Twitter with what you put out there puts me into a spot where I started thinking about a, we would use the term earlier, a wormhole where I kind of get into something and I start thinking about something and it gets me out of my own head. And I love that about what you put out because I think it's so unique. There's just not enough of that stuff that's out there. And what you put out is just so, it's brilliant, I think. And the way that your mind works to me just is fascinating. And we're so glad that you were able to to join us for an hour tonight and and give us some insight and to how that works. It, it certainly makes me kind of think about how I want to approach some things this winter in terms of not only my fantasy baseball prep, but also how I look at baseball and the stuff that goes on around. Uh, So it's very inspirational what you've done. So I thank you for that.
2: Well, thank you very much, Mike. I I just thought of an interesting idea. So I'm going to try something neat here. So I'm going to do is I'm going to go to baseballreference.com and go to a random game because they have a random finder. So, well, I'm, I have a reason for this, so I can do random pick I'm just going to do it until I get a game, not a player. Oh, boy, that's... Okay, some UL. I want to get a game here. There we go. So, Taylor Thompson. Okay. Boy, some... Okay, that's a little bit too small a sample. I want to get a game, though. So, what I'm going to do with this is, once I get a game, is I'm going to find something neat about it, then I'll research it. So, I'll tell you when I get a game. I keep getting players. Um, Sorry to hold you up on this. It should be real quick. Oh, here we go. Okay, so we have July 20th 2007 for anyone who's playing this at home. So we're looking at Orioles at athletics. It's a six, one final where Eric Bedard beats Joe Blanton. So what do we have here? We have, look at this. Oh, here we go. Found it right away. So I'm looking at the box score. Every single Oriole has at least one hit and they didn't use anybody in defensive replacements. So let's find out the last time that the Orioles had everyone in their starting lineup, get a hit. So that's actually... See, this is what I can do, though. I'm looking at the box score immediately, and I'm looking for hits and seeing if there's anything notable. And that sticks out to me because it's no zeros in the H column. So what I can do with that is I go to sadhead.com, worth the subscription. There are other trades too, but I like to use them for this. So we're going to go to player... Uh, excuse me, we're going Yeah, we're going to go to player finders. Then we're going to go to game batting. Got that up here. Then we do... Most um, players that game... Okay. Well, and then we go to Mike. I, I
0: just while while Jessica's okay. looking that up. I just feel like watching this process and and just understanding like her knowledge of of just all of this. <laughs> um, I feel like if if you really committed to fantasy baseball, she would just like yeah. Nobody would beat
1: nobody would beat you. <laughs> like
0: we <laughs> right. we marvel at Phil uh, because like he is. You know, we call him the robot Phil assault because he he's won a lot of money playing fantasy baseball and he's, you know, has his own special formula and all that. Like, I feel like Jessica is <laughs> she would give him a run for his money, you know?
1: Oh, no doubt. Zero doubt. Well,
2: th- well thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> That's very kind of you to say. Um, I, I I do, but that's like kind of why I work in the sports books though, because I have to come up with formulas for stuff like that. So sure. that's kind of where I got on the fantasy stuff though. So, see here. So that was oh, so here we go. So I have 2012 game. So so here's a fun fact about that game as a follow up to it. So as I mentioned, it was over Baltimore in 2007. The last time the Orioles had all nine starters in a game, get. A, at least one hit was august 18th of this year their mm. opponent in that game was also oakland wow that's just from a random game and there's your stat right there yep
1: wow that's wild so interesting man oh man and you just did it in like two minutes <laughs> it would have probably taken me a year to find that information so uh, that's awesome chris what are you doing uh this week for your mental health i mean it's was the holiday season and um You probably have a lot of clients that are uh, in in pretty significant need right now. What are you doing to take care of yourself this week?
0: Yeah, so um, for myself, uh, right now, I'm just, um, I know we talk about this all the time, but just trying to stay in the moment, you know, as usual, there's always stuff going on. That's life, right? Um, And at times, I've just been a little bit overwhelmed and, you know, just trying to focus on you know, that old serenity prayer, like what's in my control versus what isn't in my control, trying to delineate that and what is in my control, just really attacking it, coming up with a plan um, and and doing what I can to improve whatever situation it is. Um, I also I've been doing this for a little little while now. I'm trying to take a step back throughout the day and and really like check in with myself and check in with what I'm doing at any given moment and ask myself, is what I'm doing right now adding value to my life? And I, I look at it through like three different cat, actually four different categories. And one of them's in line with what Jessica was talking about. So, you know, I'll stop myself periodically throughout the day and ask myself is what I'm doing right now. Is it improving my health, whether it be mental, physical, is it improving my relationships with my kids, my wife, or just friends, whoever, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, is it improving? Is it making me money? You know, because that is a part of wellness, right. Is like, just, you know, I'm not, uh, my goal is not to be rich, but to at least, you know, um, be financially healthy. And, uh, the last thing is, is what I'm doing right now benefiting someone else. Um, you know, and that was, so, you know, it doesn't always fit into those four categories, but, um, I I want the majority of the time to be able to say, yes, you know, that what I'm doing in that given moment is uh, checking one of those boxes. So, uh, that's something that I've been putting a little bit more focus on lately.
1: Mm -hmm. No, that's great. I mean, those are really good things to be asking yourself and checking yourself with on a daily basis. That's a really good idea. You know, for me, I think the, the last couple of weeks, as you know, have been pretty difficult for me. Um, I, uh, my stepdad passed away last week and we just had the uh, services for him yesterday. And um, another person that had been a friend of mine, um, who's a a mentor to me when I was first coming into special ed teaching, uh, died of a heart attack this past weekend at age 53. And um, so it's been a rough couple of weeks with that kind of stuff for me. One of the things that I, I kind of wanted to share, and I think, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about this in terms of, you know, men not being able to, um, you know, show their feelings or, or express themselves in certain ways or, uh, holding things back because they think that they have to do that. You know, I had a really cool opportunity, um, about two days before my stepdad passed away, I went to the bedside, he was in hospice care at home and, uh, he was, you know, mostly sleeping at that time or whatever. And, um, I made a, a really conscious decision. I'm like, you know, this is probably the last time that I'll ever be able to speak to him in, in this realm. Right. Um, and I, have known him for more than 30 years. He and my mom have been married for more than 30 years. And, and uh, I, I really had to kind of find this deep well of courage in a way for me to be able to go in there and say what it was that I felt like I needed to say. And, Me, you know, me, Chris, I like to script out, you know, script out what I'm going to say, script out a difficult conversation. And I decided to hell with that. I'm just going to say what I feel. And if there's tears involved with that, there's tears. If there's laughter involved in that, there's laughter. And he he wasn't really awake, but I said a few things that I, that made him kind of snicker a little bit that, that made me know that he was still there and hearing that. And I left feeling, I know this might sound weird, but I, I left feeling really gratified feeling like I had done something that was really important that I um, how, how many people really kind of get to exit life on their own terms. Right. You know, and that doesn't happen a lot. And so it's a really unique opportunity to let somebody know that you cared about and, and let, and thank them for all the things that they did for you. Because the one thing that my stepdad never did um, he never tried to be my dad. I already have a dad. My dad's awesome. He never tried to be my dad, but he was a great sounding board for advice for me. Um, he introduced me to the wonders of Heineken and good cigars and things like that. So, you know, those were those were really grateful things. And so he he uh departed the planet, but I felt really um gracious about the opportunity that I had to do that. And I think me of 10 years ago, me of twenty years ago would never have been able to do that. I don't I don't think that I would have been able to own that and gone in there and done that. I would have done it half-assed or I would have not done it in a way that was really meaningful and it, it really provided closure. I mean, I, I, he died a couple days later and we obviously had the services and stuff yesterday, but I, at that point, I felt like I had made my peace with it that I didn't need to, you know, to do that anymore. So any of you that are listening, if you're going through anything like that or you're, or you're in need of having to have a difficult conversation with someone, please for the love of God or for whatever you believe in, please muster up the courage to have that conversation. It's so important um, we don't get a lot of time on this planet, even if we get to be 75, 80 years old. You got to really max that time out and don't ever let it let the feelings that you have for somebody go unsaid. Now, there's obviously there's caveats to that. But when it comes to family, you know, you have to be able to say the things that you need to say. And and I think that that's a really important thing that I was really kind of working through the last couple of weeks and so and Chris I want to publicly thank you too for being there for me you were somebody that checked in on me every couple of days just to make sure that I was doing okay and and I super appreciated that um you know I'm doing fine but I I really appreciated the fact that you were kind of looking out for me and uh you know providing that opportunity to speak if I needed it so thank you my friend I appreciate you you're welcome Uh, That is going to wrap us up for tonight. Uh, Jessica, I want to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find your work and and plug anything that you're working on right now that uh, our listeners need to be uh, dialed into.
0: Well,
2: I just want to thank you for a tremendous opportunity. I I hope I got a chance to come back because you both are absolutely fantastic co-hosts. I really appreciate you both. Um, Just find my work at Jessica D. Brand on Twitter. I not only welcome requests but i encourage them if there's anything you want to know i'll try to research it for you and get you something even more that you don't expect in response so please ask any and all questions that's what i'm here for i can't help you with betting
1: unfortunately
2: pretty good at that <laughs> but i can't give away the i can't give away the bank so
1: right right well jessica you know we've been following your work for a long time and really found it interesting and we're so glad that you were able to join us tonight we hope that you have a happy thanksgiving with friends and family here this coming week. And we definitely will have you back on again this winter when time allows for you. Uh, Thank you so much for being on with us. Uh, For my co-host, Chris Torres, I'm Mike Carter. Have a happy Thanksgiving all and uh, have a great holiday season. We'll be back in two weeks with another fresh guest and uh, we will talk to you then. Thank you. Peace.